on every aspect of society and strategy across the planet. That really is not that hard when you've got unlimited funding behind it. But what struck me as odd is one of the books I read from the Royal Institute of International Affairs discussing the future of what they called the British Empire, which was to be the nucleus, as it says in the book, the nucleus for a new world order of a, a form, a form they called it, of democracy, just like the sham we have in the West. We're going to get put it across the rest of the world too. But wars were coming up, and they already had the plans. They discussed the plans after the war, before the wars even started, like World War Two. That's how far ahead they planned. Nothing phases them or puts them off. Back before, after this break. strategy and planning goes into fulfilling an agenda written long before we were born, and our parents for that matter too. How to get a global system where the people all comply with a very totalitarian type of government. How could you do without the public rebelling? And we find out the club, the Club of Rome, for instance, another think tank in its own book, The First Global Revolution, published in the 90s, admitted in the book that they came up in the 1970s with an idea to bring the planet together with a new kind of warfare, man against the planet. Man was causing the climate to change. That would fit the bill. It's just another religion, you see. It's a new religion to replace all the other religions, but it's the most insidious religion you'd possibly imagine because it's based upon something that was never questioned before or even discussed or even thought about by most people. And that is, why do you live? Why do you exist? And being a good Darwinist, all of them, with survival of the species and the fittest and all the rest of it, they came up with the conclusion that you have to have value for society to exist. And that's why, too, they'd been hammering at religion for so long, because that was their only competitor. And religion at least gave people the right to be an individual and live. Because inside, basically, you were a sacred being to an extent. If they could atheize society and get everyone to accept they were just freaks of nature, and there's too many of you, then it's much, much easier to convince you to be sterilized, to, to be called off after you've fulfilled your duty to mankind in the workplace, rather than retire and be a consumer a burden on society, and that's what they've been up to ever since. However, getting back to the book I mentioned earlier, one of the books from the Royal Institute of International Affairs, where they discussed the upcoming World War II that hadn't started yet, and said they would save Russia, Soviet Russia, their main enemy, supposedly, at all costs. They didn't say why they had to do that. Well, we know now, of course, they needed a bad beer after World War II. And they also discussed even the immigration quotas into Canada and other countries up into the year 2000 and beyond. And they openly called for world government. But not the kind of world government most naive people think about. It's not a little happy place where we all have equality and a bunch of beans and a chicken in every pot. It's a totally controlled society 
as I say, where eventually, and it's already happened actually as far as the scientists go, the scientists themselves are the new priesthood. They're the front men to convince us to go along with it. The politicians, like Carla Quigley said, the ones who get into high office are all hand-picked by the Council on Foreign Relations, and they're all in of international affairs. And they're on board with every part of the agenda. But back, going back again in time, in the 60s, they knew in Britain and in America that Soviet Russia would grind to a halt because the Soviets were running their country like a big, giant machine. They even had quotas of so many trains that had to be on the go at all times, even if there was nothing in them. That's how they ran it, to, to statistics. And people don't put their heart into anything if there's no personal reward. And by that time, by the 60s, a lot of Soviets were becoming dissatisfied when they saw this upper class that ran the Soviet Union and how well they lived compared to those at the bottom. It had to fall apart eventually. And Britain and the U.S. and big bankers, the foundations again, who were completely intermingled with the CIA and MI6, looked at a post-Cold War world back then and decided they'd have to do something. Supposing, for instance, people were elected into Parliament or into Congress who were not in on the agenda and they went off on some other tangent and undid all the work that the CIA and MI6 were doing. They weren't about to let that to happen, so what they did was they privatized it. And when you privatize something, this public-private idea, the taxpayers will fund it. They also can take funding from the foundations, and they can also keep most of the reports, their true intentions, secret from the general public because they're not answerable to the public since they're not elected. In this way, the big bankers, the big banking families, the ones that are international money lenders to the rest of the nations, and the royalty and aristocracies of the world would still be protected by these private companies. During the reign of Thatcher, they were even privatizing some parts of the military then. Britain became a great training base for mercenaries, for instance, in the 1980s. Well, here's a member, you see, of, of the British security force, this article I'm about to read, to give you an idea of how it really works. And they say that they bypass democracy, so these people are not answerable to the public, and they really are working on behalf of the bankers and royalty. Very, very simple. It's from the Mail Online, 25th of February 2009. This guy was in charge of all the British security services before he left. But to be honest with you, he still is. And he's in bed with the U.S., private security services that run the U.S. It says, fight against terror must mean the end of ordinary people's privacy, says ex-security chief. This is by Tamara Cohen. And it says, personal data of innocent citizens must be made available to the government to combat terrorism, according to an influential former security chief. And I said ages ago, this terrorism had to be done because they couldn't get any other excuse to take away all of your rights and freedoms and guide you along a particular path that was predetermined. It says here, Sir David Omand, O-M-A-N-D, 
Sir David Omond Whitehall's former in, in security and intelligence coordinator. That's the top job. Back in the 80s, it was, it was, it was Victor Rothschild that was in charge of all of that stuff for Britain. It has called for unprecedented Big Brother powers to allow access to private details, including phone records, emails, and travel information to be given to the intelligence services, setting out a hugely controversial blueprint for the future of national security. He said moral rules about individual privacy would have to be broken. A 17-page report calls for the creation of a vast state database to gather information, again, about terrorist groups, haha, which are increasingly recruiting and operating online, he says. What a joker. But he argued that a citizen's right to privacy would have to be sacrificed to allow intrusive intelligence techniques. It's hard to believe you're actually reading this stuff today. And it's out in the open. Because they never had revolutions in previous times to hear this kind of stuff mentioned. I'm not kidding you. Have we been dumbed down or what? Says finding, out, finding out about other people's secrets is going to involve breaking every moral rule, he wrote. This is personal information about individuals that reside in databases such as advanced passenger information, airline bookings and other travel data, passport and biometric data, immigration identity and border records, criminal records and other governmental and private sector data. That means everything they know about you. Everything. Including financial and telephone and other communication records. Every darn thing. They've never had slaves like this in any time in the past. They'd have to have eavesdroppers listening to their little huts where they squatted at night as they whispered amongst themselves. Now, they're going into everything openly. Since modern intelligence access will often involve intrusive methods of surveillance and investigation, accepting that in some respects this may have to be at the expense of some aspects of privacy rights. Well, it's, it's against all privacy rights. The paper is called National Security Strategy and Implication for the UK Intelligence Community. That's the a, that's a title of it was published last week by the influential New Labour Think Tank. See, another private think tank. The Institute of Public Policy Research. I've mentioned this one a few times before. Seems to be the big one. Sir Oman left the senior civil service in 2005, but his views still hold great sway in the corridors of power. Well, of course, because, you see, he's really still working for a much bigger, powerful organization. But it's private, and that's what's running. The security services now. He added, this is a hard choice and goes against current calls to curb the so-called surveillance society, but it's greatly preferable to tinkering with the rule of law. Tinkering with the rule of law. Who needs laws anymore, eh? Or derogating from fundamental human rights, meaning throwing out the window, going round about it. Being able to demonstrate proper legal authorization and appropriate oversight of the use of such intrusive intelligence activity may become a major future issue for the intelligence community if the public at large is to be convinced, we have to be convinced of this, you see, of the desirability of such intelligence capability. Sir Oman said such information may be held in national records covered by data protection legislation, but it might also be held offshore by other nations or by global companies. You see, all the big global companies 
And I've said this so many times, they're not independents at all. They all belong to one big organization. Isn't it amazing that back in the 70s, it may have been movies like Rollerball came out showing you a world where the world corporation rules the world and everything in it. It's an old movie worth seeing. Because the whole point of the movie was to, to show you that they would not tolerate individualism. You had to be a team player with everything that you did. And that, was, that wasn't because science fiction writers were coming up with great ideas. They were sitting in the think tanks. They were all discussing the privatization of everything. That's why. So I'm going to continue with this and take you into the other organizations that Mr. Omond is involved with. Back in a moment. Concerning the the push for getting the public to accept having no privacy at all, zilch, none, zero, and it's a step by step incremental process of conditioning the public to accept it. I think a lot of public, uh, the public, have already accepted it. To be honest with you, because we're under tremendous psychological warfare, and the beauty of it is people don't even know it. That's why it works so well. That's what psychological warfare is. But to continue here, he says, he says, it might be also be held, the information might be held offshore by other nations or by global companies. Now, in their think tanks of years ago, they said they were going to set up super cities for the future. There'd be a handful of them scattered across the globe. Very high tech and cutting edge. One of them might be built, they said, in Southern California, which will deal with a lot of this data. And privately owned, remember, and living amongst squalor as the, the world goes down the tubes financially. That was also part of the old think tank's projections. So there'd be these key bases of high, high civilization, but still running the world amongst uh, a world of poverty, etc., as we all die off. Getting back to this article, it says here, access to such information might well be the key to effective preemption in future terrorist cases. Utter tripe. But it's as good as global warming. You see, it's a mandate, repetition, repetition, until a generation grows up thinking it's all quite normal. And they already are growing up like that. It says such sources have always been accessible to traditional law enforcement seeking evidence against a named suspect already justified by reasonable suspicion of having committed a crime. However, application of modern data mining and processing techniques does involve examination of the innocent as well as the suspect to identify patterns of interest for further investigation. In other words, we're all of interest to the security services, all of us. Why? Well, we're going into the worst depression ever created. And it is created. And they do plan to have a brand new, brave new world scenario at the end of 30 to 50 years. In the meanwhile, they must have cooperative people at the bottom, the masses, who think everything's due to climate change or, or terrorism everywhere. 
And these guys have to do all they can to keep us safe. Therefore, they have to literally chain us up. Chain us up. And have information on all of us. Because you could all be, a, each one of you could be a terrorist in the future if you're starving. You understand that? I hope, I hope you understand what they're talking about. I hope you do. But this guy, Omond, has different documents out too. And this is one is from, he actually gave this whole report out. It's called The National Security Strategy Implications for the UK Intelligence Community. And I'll put the link up on my site at the end of the show. Next on about, on 9th of March 2008, Gordon Brown presented a white paper to Parliament that served as the first uncomprehensive attempt to distill a national security strategy for the United Kingdom. The starting point for the strategy is the existence of a fixed and unwavering obligation on the part of the government to protect the British people and the British national interest. Now, what do they mean by na- whose national interest? The boys at the top. However, the strategic analysis then goes on to assert that the nature of the threats and the risks of the UK faces have changed beyond recognition in recent decades, so confounding all the old assumptions about national defence and international security. Well, the guy that's the head of this think tank is the same David Ormond. And they're working with the US and various other big countries as well. You have international private companies running all of your security services and telling parliaments and Congress what to do. But there's really nothing new in this. It's been going on for quite some time. Just that we weren't told about it. We're given trivia and nonsense on television. Utter trivia. And I said before, regardless of the agenda, regardless of the depression we're going into financially, and it's going to be a lot worse as time goes on because the whole idea of the bailout money is just to help the boys who stole the money get richer. And he'll also fund the ongoing think tanks and foundations with all the booty they're being given from the taxpayer. And we know they'll say at the very end of it, well, we're now totally bankrupt. The countries are bankrupt by having to bail out the banks. That's the strategy, you see. And I said before, it won't change one darn thing to do with climate change or global warming. It's a must-be, and that was what the Club of Rome dreamed up in the 1970s and reported in their own book, The First Global Revolution. That would fit the bill, global warming. Therefore, they put all their eggs in one bag, and every single politician, and every wannabe politician is groomed, and they give speeches at these various think tanks that are set up, to make sure that they're all on board with the same agenda, with the same slogans, they all speak as one. All the books that are churned out from the top, from Kissinger to Elal to, or, or to Atali, and he's got a new one out as well, all say the same identical things. Global warming, climate change, etc., etc. As a must be. And I said before too, you want to find out how bad it can get in a depression when they add all the extra costs and taxes of carbon footprints and so on on top of the taxpayer's burden. You wait and see. This is all planned this way. And I'll read some of this when I get back from an article I have here. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
somewhat it's just cutting through the matrix just mentioning how you think you've got it bad but it's going to get a lot worse and then to compound it they're going to add all your carbon taxes on top of it going the whole way with this gambit because they've been planning it for over 30 years they're not going to pull out now all their eggs in one basket for sure and I hate even reading this article because it's written by a real politically correct greeny prune with a bit of an ego, but it's from the BBC, 25th of February uh, 2009. Justin Rowlett says, President Obama addresses Congress, can markets save the earth from climate change? That is the question I posed yesterday, says a little egotist that wrote this. Today the answer came back loud and clear from none other than the President of the United States himself, to true transform our economy to protect our security and save our planet from the ravages of climate change. Oh, God. President Obama told the U.S. Congress yesterday, we need to ultimately make clean, renewable energy the profitable kind of energy. So I ask this Congress to send me legislation that places a market-based cap on carbon pollution and drives the production of, most, or more, of more renewable energy in America. Then this, this journalist goes on to say, now I'm not for a moment suggesting that President has been reading my blog, that I don't rule it out, well I would, but the cap and trade system that he referred to last night is exactly the kind of market-based carbon prices mechanism that I was discussing yesterday. Oh, oh, this greeny guy gets on my nerves. He could not have been more forceful about his commitments. It was top of his list of priorities. He is now, too, that's the top of his priorities, isn't it? The only way this century will be another American century is if we confront at last the price of our dependence on oil, he said. It's truly a radical policy. Europe has a limited cap and trade system for years, but what Obama is proposing is an economy-wide system. Well, guess who pays for all this? When companies are whacked with carbon taxes, etc., and they can actually profit off their carbon, ta- their carbon payouts, claiming they haven't used them all. They actually get them back. They can actually buy other companies carbon as well. It's amazing. We're talking about voodoo and magic here because none of it exists. It's all abstract nonsense. It's like buying spells. How many spells have you bought this this year from the voodoo man? That's literally what it is. The priests have done this all down through the ages and now they've got all these scientists, these paid off scientists. They prattle on about this rubbish to enslave us further. So it goes on to say, the idea is this, the government sets a cap, a limit on the total amount of carbon dioxide that can be emitted, and then issues permits to emit the carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. The permits can be bought and sold on a market, that's a trade bit, and companies can only emit carbon dioxide if they buy a permit. Well, guess what? It's not just companies. Every individual is going to get a head tax. See, they used to call these head taxes. You exist, therefore you pay the elite. And they're going to say that you are the cause, you personally are the cause of consuming and putting out so much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And they're going to charge you on this, tax you on it, into the grave. That's what it's really, really all about. The big boys have never suffered through anything. And I read an article about a month ago where they're actually selling these these carbon credits to each other. And, and they were given millions of dollars worth of them free to, to start it up. Now they're trading them off and getting money back. It's just a great boondoggle, like everything else is. But why would you whack the people 
when things are going down, that's going to put the price of everything that you buy up. Food and everything is going to skyrocket. But that's the agenda, you see. That's the agenda. After all, we're the herd. Our only function is to be fleeced by those above us. The farmers, the big shepherds, the great shepherds. That's our only purpose to these boys. And as they eradicate us through disease and food that alters you biologically and biochemically and all the rest of it and sterilize you, they're going to profit all the way down the road until they've got rid of you and replace you all with a new type. And as I said before, Obama would be put in to use the machinery that was set up by Bush to take care of the riots that will come. This is how they play it. And Obama is well aware of that. He's well groomed. And after all, his speechwriters know the whole agenda. I prefer personally that they just got rid of presidents and prime ministers and gave us the speechwriters because these are the guys who write, write it all out for us to hear. They know the agendas. And that would save us all money. Just take the head scriptwriters out there. How about that? And there's a caller here from uh, Delaware. Is Paul. Are you there, Paul? Hello, Paul. How you doing? I'm surviving, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want, had a couple questions. First question was, I'm listening to you, and you're saying that this is going to happen the next thing's going to happen, you know, this is our, this is, you know, I'm sitting here with all due respect, it's almost like I'm listening to a prophet and, uh, you know, I'm at, from what I understand, being an intelligent, free-thinking individual who is in charge of my own destiny, uh, that is not my future. Now, the people that are sitting here listening to this. What was your question? My question is, well, I want to get to that, but before I do, can I, can I please get my, uh, my little bit of airtime here? Uh, you know, I wanted to say, first of all, that that is not the future unless the people listening allow it to be the future. And my question is this, are you still saying that you had contact with the aliens? What? What? Are uh, you, we'll, Alan we'll, Watt, go on are you next, still we'll, go, we'll go on to the next caller, I think. So I'll go back to this this new thing that I'm going to read here. Ah, it's getting to be a full moon, I think. Let's see. Ah. I'll tell you how many of us are in charge of our own lives these days. How many of us, when boys at the top can crash an economy and impoverish us all overnight? That's how much power we have over where we're going and our future. What is true is that it can only happen with public acceptance, but the public do accept it. The public do accept it, or they'd be rioting already, a long time ago, in fact. Let's see. The U.S. launches unmanned aerial drones to monitor the Manitoba border. These aerial drones they've been using in the Middle East and over in Afghanistan to bomb the people there now are to be used along the Canadian and the U.S. border. And why not? It's this big, big business. The military-industrial complex is big business and always find ways to, again, 
and keep the, the money coming in from the taxpayers to build all their wonderful toys. They go obsolete very, very quickly. It's a great system because they're going to be obsolete in a month and they have to get a new one, a new type, Mark 2, 5, 10, 100, whatever, you see. And this is from the CBC News, February 16th, 2009. The Predator B drone, nice name for it, isn't it? The Predator B drone, the first unmanned aircraft system to patrol the northern U.S. border, left. It's followed by a chase plane as it lands at the Grand Forks Air Force Base in December 2008. The Predator B drone, the first unmanned aircraft system to patrol it, uh, I'll cut that part out because I want to say this, based at military facilities in Grand Forks. Uh, it says that the $10 million, million, $10 million for this one drone. Predator B drone aircraft are equipped with sensors capable of detecting a moving person from 10 kilometers away. The aircraft is to fly at an altitude of 6,000 meters and can remain in the air for 18 hours. It's funny that because I think it was a year ago I had reports from people at British Columbia way who were telling me this, these odd aircraft they were noticing. And now it, now it turns out to be the testing of these Predator B drones that obviously crossed over in the Canadian airspace, which means there's coordination between the Canadian government and the U.S. government. The planes will gather information as they fly along the 400-kilometer border and transmit it to operators who will in turn contact border agents. The drones will not carry weapons such as missiles or lighter guided bombs, and the U.S. will need permission to send them into Canadian airspace. I'll add to that and say, well, so far, because they always do this, they introduce it, and then, then they add the missiles and the bombs and so on. Manitoba has 12 official border crossings. Only two are open 24 hours a day. Much of the land in between the crossings is either swampland, lakes, or farmers' fields. U.S. authorities are concerned that the border has areas that could potentially be exploited by drug smugglers, migrants, and terrorists. Oh, oh. It's astonishing. Before 2001, you never heard about terrorism. It just wasn't there. Now it's, it's been every day. It's terrorism, terrorism, terrorism. So they're building up this massive mechanized army on ground and in the air to fight supposedly terrorism. What a joke. So they'll try and find the weakest link, and the weakest link is clearly the long border between the U.S. and Canada. It was no problem for hundreds of years. So then again, North Dakota Democratic Senator Bryden Dorgan said, it's very hard to patrol every square mile. Of course, the RCMP in Canada is getting in it. Staff Sergeant Ron Obodzinski said the surveillance planes will be a big help in the fight against the smuggling of drugs, alcohol, and people. Then again, it's going to enhance our relationship between our American partners and the Canadian agencies, he said. In these dangerous times, it's more important than ever for both countries to know who and what is crossing the border. Aren't you glad you have such intelligent people working there? Similar drones patrol the skies in Iraq and Afghanistan. The aircraft are also used along parts of the U.S.-Mexico border. Monday's drone launch comes a day before Janet Napolitano, the new Secretary of the U.S. Homeland Security, is to get a review of the security efforts along the Canadian-American border and just three days before U.S. President Barack Obama's first visit to Canada. It's funny that I was listening to a little piece on Obama where he was talking to, the, um, he was talking to an audience 
and one of them asked him if he was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, it was so funny because he, he replied, well, I've spoken there a few times. I don't know if I'm a member or not, he says. What a joke, eh? I don't know if I'm a member or not. But that's, that's what's going on. As we're all getting, we're becoming broke, they can keep buying all these expensive planes and weapons and all the rest. They're all under the guise of keeping us safe. Keeping us safe. And stopping drugs. What a joke, stopping drugs. I've read articles before where people who work for special forces in the U.S., from major newspapers, in fact, articles, where they admitted that the special forces, the ex-special forces, if there's such a thing, privatized, put it that way, were bringing in the drugs from Latin America into the U.S. all the time. And many other articles besides. Now, as I say, this whole global warming thing must go ahead and all the extra taxes must go ahead while the economy is being pulled from under the feet of the people. And here's one article. I'd like to see who, who would fund this particular magazine. It's called New Scientist, February the 5th, 2009. Fred's footprint, Credit Crunch, must not stifle climate change action from Fred Pierce, senior environmental correspondent. The world's financial and climate crisis have a common cause and our leaders cannot successfully put capitalism back together without at the same time fixing the environment. So argued an elite group of scientists and parliamentarians meeting in London last week. Now listen up to this. The meeting marked the revival of the Club of Rome, the guys that dreamed up the whole idea. Read their book, The First Global Revolution. The think tank that almost 30 years ago gave the world the phrase limits to growth and then rather disappeared from view as the limits receded on a wave of free market capitalism. Utter rot, because if you go into the Club of Rome's website, you'll see they've had annual meetings every year since then, global meetings. Now the club is back in the hour of need. Oh, wow. The meeting was jointly held with Globe International. That's a, quite an amazing company to look in. I'll leave the link at the end of the site at the show as well. Globe International. Globe International is another private organization where every prime minister current and past and president current and past and every top player in politics current and past is a member. Globe International. And to be a member, you must be completely on board with the whole agenda, global warming, population reduction, all the rest of it, to be a member. I was going through it today, and it's, it's quite extensive to see all these big players. Remember what Margaret Thatcher said? She belonged to the parallel government, the one that really got things done, because democracy was too slow. Exactly again what the Club of Rome said in that same book, that they favored collectivism, because democracy had too many conflicting parties and sides and groups to get anything done. So they'd simply bypass it. And they have bypassed everything to get things done their way and on their agenda. It's a Globe International, an organization of environmental legislators. So all your politicians, you see, that you vote in are also environmental legislators for the planet. 
They argued that climate change destabilized ecosystems and concerns about energy security have all contributed to recent mayhem in the financial markets by contributing to flip-flopping food and energy prices. Which is nonsense because, you see, the five agri-food businesses own the world's food supply now. That's what's causing the problems. And they will use food as a weapon as they take us down this journey to depopulation. So these crises have the same roots, the unsustainable use of resources, said Globes Anders which Wiseman or Wickman, the European Union's reporter on sustainability. It is all due with sustainability. How many people do we have? How many are really viable for a system? How many are necessary for the system we have? That's what it boils down to. What's your purpose for society? Do you serve society? Are you of value to society? This new idea, having value to society, is a new concept. Brand new concept. Being born in previous times meant you, you simply existed. You were there. That was good enough, an answer. I am that I am. But no, now you must prove your value to society. Sustainability is the term they use. Vaudebourg the UN's chief climate negotiator agreed that the financial crisis is the result of her living beyond her financial means. The climate crisis is a result of her living... Well, he says that twice for some reason here. And there's the music coming in. I'll read some more of this when I get back because it's an interesting organization. Back after these messages. Of what you'll be here, what you'll be hearing down over the next year or two, 
and being parroted from hundreds of different newspapers, etc., they'll actually be coming from this particular organization. That's how everything's done today. It's interesting, too, that every major media, every major newspaper will put these articles up that are published by these organizations. You know how hard it is to get an interview with any major newspaper if you belong to some local organization? You wouldn't even get through the door. Which tells you that the media is all part of the control system over the minds of the public. In fact, the media is an essential arm of government. I used to say governments, but now we're international as one government, basically. And without it, they couldn't do all the psychological warfare on the public because they give us our perceptions of things, false though they may be. And through constant repetition by a vast array of politicians at the top who are all on board with this agenda, they hope to brainwash us completely into going along with their own demise. And unfortunately, it's working on a lot of people. If you hear people talking in the streets about things, it's like Brzezinski said, they'll be talking about the major stories they heard on the previous night's news. And there will be no reasoning in it because they expect the media, as Brzezinski said, to do their reasoning for them. They just parrot what they hear as though it's the gospel truth until they talk it into a reality that didn't exist before. Sad, isn't it? Meanwhile, we've got spacemen phoning in the show. Well, from Hamish and myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.